Hello and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast, developed by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. We are a group of fundraising professionals here to grow and learn with you, our listeners. Twice a month, our co-hosts are joined by a special guest to talk about all things related to being a stronger fundraiser and nonprofit leader. A huge thank you to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations, for making this show possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome to today's show. I'm Christy Ackley with Fairwinds Consulting. And I'm Allie Schneider with Animal Human Society. And we are here today with our guest, Tammy Moore from Being More. Being More is a marketing and communications consulting firm, and Tammy is the founder and owner of that. And we are so incredibly excited to have her here to talk to us about time management. As um, development people, working with tons and tons of different donors all the time, this is a skill that I think all of us could use a little bit more of. And Tammy is a marketing and communications expert. So she's used to working on a ton of different projects um, and responding to different demands and needs and all of that stuff. So she's learned a lot over her her years in um, working with tons of clients and different bosses and all of that stuff. So we're excited to hear um, her experience. Great. Well, Tammy, before we dive into this topic, do you want to just um, help our listeners get to know you a little bit, talk a little bit about your background, who you are, that kind of stuff? Sure, I'd love to. So I have spent my career working in marketing, communications, and and creative work as a whole, and that has entailed all kinds of really fun um, projects and initiatives, everything from media and crisis communications to um, advertising, um, creative development. I started my career as a writer, and so the communications piece of what I do is is still very important to me and very much a big part of what I do. And a good portion of my career has been spent working in nonprofits, um, small organizations, large organizations. And now as a consultant, um, I work with a variety of industries, uh, both for-profit and nonprofit, um, but I have a little bit more time and flexibility um, to work with some nonprofits, both as a volunteer and as a consultant. And most of all, it is in the marketing and communications capacity, fundraising, case development, um, community relations development. And it's just it's just a ton of fun. I love what I do for the variety and I love working with organizations and helping um, people and organizations fulfill their mission and their goals. It sounds like you've worked with a lot of different organizations and industries and in different parts of the organization. So if you say something is important, we should probably listen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is, it is fun to do when, when you work in communications, I feel like a lot of things um, can be solved with better communication and often um, organizations look to the communications folks within their reach to help them solve problems, frame problems, understand people better frame messaging that relates to people better, um, creates clarity. Um, that's a big piece of what I do. So um, yeah, hopefully hopefully, what I'll share today um, is, is valuable and of importance for people. And Tammy, your previous job right before starting Being More was at St. John's and St. Ben's, right? Working with um, that advancement team. 
Yes, yes, it was. So I worked at the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University. They're two liberal arts colleges in central Minnesota, and um, they have a co-educational relationship. And so it's a fairly complex organization um, with quite a few, you know, professional staff um, and alumni. And so I worked with their um, institutional advancement or fundraising folks, and I helped them Um, I was responsible for the alum magazine and then also all of the fundraising, marketing and communications. So that spanned from major gift asks and the pieces that were developed to support those asks, um, in addition to the annual giving components of that. And so that involved everything from writing, designing, uh, print pieces, email campaigns and things. So just very intense Again, marketing communications, mostly framed toward um, donors and community members. So when you're doing that all, as many nonprofit professionals do, you have many hats that you wear and a lot of things that you do. You really have to be very mindful of your time and what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when... Uh, as professionals working in with nonprofits, we often talk about time, talent, and treasure. And um, we talk about those three components as ways for engagement for people externally to be involved with the organization. But sometimes I think what is forgotten is, is especially the way that we spend our own time specifically and Um, and really valuing the time that we spend as fundraising or nonprofit professionals and um, thinking about that as a value in the same way that we would as a volunteer with the organization. So often the time piece of that time, talent, treasure, can we sort of erase that as a a professional and kind of put that aside and don't don't really take a close look at that. And um, it's really easy to do because... um, most nonprofits that I have exposure to and that I work with um, have more mission than money, and that is not uncommon. And so we're always kind of stretched with our resources. And time is probably, I think, one of the most precious resources that we have um, as people. Absolutely. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. We don't have any more or any less. And so if we don't approach our time with intentionality, it's really easy for that to slip out of our fingers and for um, us to not be mindful about how we are spending our time. So, I mean, you kind of answered one of my first questions was just why are these time management skills so important. And I mean, I think you've, you've outlined that pretty well right there already. Um, and just thinking about it that way, I've never really thought of it in, in that lens before. So I love that you framed it um, in that time, talent, treasures that we mm-hmm. do talk about so much in the nonprofit world. So um, do you want to expand any more on, on time management skills and why learning these skills can be so incredibly important and, um, and maybe even how or where you go to learn them? Sure. So, you know, I think, um, I think the, the reason time management is so important in, in the nonprofit space, again, is, you know, if we think about time as one of the most precious resources that we have, um, time is also equals energy. 
And if we think about time as the investment of every moment that we are on the clock, um, and most of us don't stop thinking about work when five o'clock rolls around, we take our work home with us. And so I think it's really important for us as professionals to have good boundaries in the way that we use our time, the way that we think about our time as a valuable resource. And um, and of course, you know, we hear we hear unfortunate stories about high turnover in, you know, the nonprofit space and all kinds of, you know, professional roles. Um, some people use the phrase or the word burnout and um, no one, no one wants that. And so I think being really intentional and conscious about our time as energy is really important because I think it, it not only makes for um, greater productivity um, during your work hours, I think it also can help you compartmentalize a little bit more so that you have um, carved out, you know, family time and personal space as well, so that you're not all consumed by your work, but that you have a joyful experience at work and a good balance of of your work life plus your personal um, interests and family and other commitments. And I think it just makes for a better and more healthy, well-rounded um, individual. That's so true because, like you said before, so many of us get into it for the mission. And when you have that time to yourself to re-energize, you're doing more for the mission, even if you're not spending every waking moment thinking about it. Absolutely. And I can't tell you how many nonprofits that I've worked with or been a part of and, and been an employee at where either a staff person or you know someone in an HR or hiring role will say something and suggest that um, we should take a lower pay mm -hmm. because we love the work. And so it's a labor of love, right? And and that's okay. It's it, We should and hopefully love our work and, and get joy from our work. But to suggest that um, it, it can't offer financial fulfillment as well, I think is a misstep for us um, in the nonprofit space. So again, really valuing time, I think helps us honor the fact that we are professionals with very specific skill sets and that we are here to fulfill a mission with our energy, which is time. And so I think it just kind of comes full circle for me. Um, and, and I really don't believe in discounting people's value by way of their paycheck, mm -hmm. because I think that also is an enabling um, gesture that then suggests that you should work for free <laughs> and, and no one, no one should work for free. And so I think just really writing that from, from the onset and creating a healthy awareness of, of time as energy and energy as value um, can really set us up for success and, and just a healthier mindset. And I'm honestly a longer and healthier career. Absolutely. So true. Mm -hmm. So Tammy, what um, tips do you have for people as they're starting to think about, uh, you know, may maybe they've been able to juggle all of the, the balls so far, but they're starting to feel closer to that burnout. You know, they're starting to feel like I, I just, I can't do all the things that I want to do, or, you know, maybe they're going, no, I have been working 
beyond my hours for way too long. And I need to get this back into a work-life balance where I can do this important work and the things that I care about, but I can do the other things that I care about too. And rest is so incredibly important as well. You know, so what, what tips would you have for them as they're thinking about how do I, how do I manage all of this? How do I realign myself? Right. So I'll offer some suggestions that are kind of high level concepts and then also some very tactical specific things. So um, on the high level side of things, I would suggest that every person or professional would find great value in a mentor and someone who is in the similar space, maybe it's at your current work um, place or outside of that space, but a mentor who you can ask some really hard questions to and just say, how do you do it? How have you done it? I really, I, I admire your leadership. Admire the fact that you can, um, with a smile on your face, manage both people and a heavy workload and donor relationships. Can you tell me some tips and secrets? So I think finding a mentor really early in your career is is really important. And and I believe we just never stop needing mentors. I think mm-hmm. the, more, the more seasoned we are, it, it just never. We should never stop learning. And I think banding together and finding people who you aspire to or, or who um, you admire for their skill sets is, is a really good thing to find and keep in your uh, professional life. Um, I think just being also in the habit of asking for feedback from people. Asking for feedback can be a really vulnerable thing. And, you know, because we ask a question and, and there's going to be an answer, we hope, on the, on the other side of it. So um, asking for feedback can feel really vulnerable. But I would encourage people to ask for feedback with just an open mind and an open heart and a listening ear. And don't be afraid about what people are going to say when you ask for their feedback. So, um, and I would say the more information that you can provide in asking for that feedback, the more helpful the feedback will be. So I would just, if you're willing to be vulnerable and just say, you know, I'm struggling with X or I have a collision of deadlines right now, I'm not sure how to manage all of these. Do you have any suggestions for how we can move forward and solve this? And um, so just making sure that you're asking for feedback. And and I, I think when you think about feedback, it's important to think about looking up in your organization, looking down in your organization and looking across. So think about the people who are your peers, who you can ask for feedback, maybe a superior, maybe it's your boss, a leader in the organization, and maybe also people who report to you. So I think the more valuable um, feedback comes when it comes from that 360 view within your purview. Um, Some of the tactical things that I suggest, um, and these are, some of these are are really basic, but I'll tell you, I have found them so valuable in my own career. So figuring out in your career, um, what are the basic tools that work for you for time management? Is that a calendar? And is it a calendar that is digital? And how many platforms do you want access to that calendar on? Do you want to carry it on your phone, have it on your laptop? 
Um, and sometimes people choose to keep both a digital calendar and a written calendar. I would say I've tried that before in my own life. That does not work for me. What works for me is, is one format that I can have consistently across multiple platforms. So I have personal appointments on my professional calendar and professional appointments on my personal calendar because we all know you bring your whole self to work and you take mm -hmm. your whole self home. So it's okay. And if you need to mark things or want to mark things on your professional calendar that are private, you can absolutely do that. I think that is fully acceptable in today's digital world. So save yourself some of the mental strain and find a really easy way to track your meetings, your, your home commitments and things like that. So find a way that um, works for you in terms of calendaring. A big thing I had to learn um, kind of the hard way in my career is that your email is not your to-do list. Your email does not direct your day. Email is a communication tool. <laughs> but how many times have we sat down at our computer at the start of the day and before you know it, hours have gone by? And, and you are stuck in your email. Now you're having, you know, trailing conversations, et cetera. So mm -hmm. be careful. Can you guys relate to that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So email is a trap, right? Yeah. <laughs> email is, is a trap. And, and I think just reminding yourself that email is not your to-do list. Email is your communication tool. So I like to... Um, coach folks that I work with that um, sort your email. Don't be afraid to sort it. So what, what I've done is I will sort by the people who I need to get back to in an urgent manner. So um, maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's an important donor. Maybe it's a committee chairperson that you're working with. It's okay to prioritize your email, sort it, do a search, look for names and make those a priority. And, and honestly, others can wait. If you don't sort your email, we know what happens. You start at the top and you try to chip your way down and it's really hard to, to make progress in, in mm -hmm. email. So I would just be so cautious of, of email. Um, I also caution people to be um, not too um, overcommitted with meetings. Meetings are also a really big trap where suddenly we can fill our days with meetings and we say yes to all the meetings before we actually even know what the meeting is about. At one point in my career, I started to decline meetings if there wasn't an agenda attached. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the purpose of the meeting was and why we were gathering together and what the outcome was going to be. I had to decline. It wasn't an, a permanent no. It was just a no for now until we get clarity and happy to, to reconvene and, and revisit that. But can, can you all relate to the, the meeting trap too? Oh, yeah. And I think to add a little bit to that, sometimes I think people need to look at it and be like, do I really need to be a part of this meeting? Like, do you really want me there? If not, I have other things to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that kind of leads me to one of the other higher level um, ideas for time management is that um, do you ask yourself if you need to lead everything? 
do you have to attend the meetings, take the notes, send out the to-dos, coach all the people on all the things that they're doing, prioritize how you, again, the commitments that you're responsible for and resist the urge to take on more than what is required of your job. And so I like to think about that is, you know, what am I primarily responsible for and where can I play a secondary role? So where can I show up, offer information, be in a supporting cast member role, but not have to actually lead the conversation. And I may or may not even have to take to-dos away from that meeting too. So, or maybe I can serve on a committee. I don't have to lead and organize the committee, but I can play a supporting role. So really thinking about your primary space and your secondary space, um, I think is really important. Just a couple more quick things that I do. I like to, at the end of every day, look ahead to the next day. I like to ground myself in the close of one day and anticipate what is on my plate for the following day. And I do that as a consultant. That that is something that uh, puts my mind at ease. I I can sleep better at night and I don't have the busy brain that is, you know, doesn't stop um, because I've looked ahead and I know what to anticipate um, for the next day. And then one last thing that I have found very valuable in my um, career is um, I I love lists and I love notebooks and post-it notes. And so there are times in my week where I've got lists everywhere. And to, to other people, it looks incredibly messy and unorganized. But to me, I know where every single post-it is and I, I know why it's there. But with that said, I also know and try to frame for every day the three most important things to get done that day. It's not 10 things. It's if I close this day out and I get these three things done, I will consider it a success. And that just also sort of helps free my mind from paralysis of so many things to do and long, you know, lists of never ending to do list. Um, I lied. One more thing <laughs> that I would suggest people do is don't be afraid to block your calendar. And I, I do this also as a consultant. So I black out solid, um, spaces of time for paperwork, follow-up phone calls, maybe personal errands that I need to get done. Don't be afraid to block your calendar also for projects that require deep thinking. Um, So often, I think in nonprofit space in particular, we have roles that are that require us to be high-level strategic thinkers, but also tactical problem solvers. And I don't know about your brain, but my brain needs to compartmentalize that a little bit. So I need space to think about big things. And I do a lot of writing in my work. And so it's really difficult to write and get started with a train of thought and be productive in a 15-minute time block. I can't do that. I have to have a longer length of time to um, to churn some ideas, maybe do some research, go get some inspiration online and look at other examples. So I, I would just encourage people to um, 
don't be afraid to block your calendar for those things that require your deep thinking. And it can be things like budget planning, crunching numbers, anything where you personally just need an opportunity to work, rework, revisit, go back, churn some ideas. I find that that typically produces the best work versus if I'm, you know, in a hurry and trying to just kind of slap something together. These so those are, are also good. a couple of, oh. <laughs> of high-level and some tactical tips. And even thinking about this conversation today, um, I was reminded, I, I actually blocked my calendar for this mm-hmm. week because it's, you know, we have a short work week technically. And that in order for me to get the things done that I want to do personally and professionally, I'm going to have to just honor my space and, and, you know, carve out time and and be intentional about that. Tammy, I want to go back to the declining meetings um, comment that you made or or talking about that. So a lot of our listeners are development people and the meetings that they're being requested are by donors. And I, I think there's a lot of pressure when a donor asks you to meet with them to feel like I got to do this like soon, like, whatever that person's internal, you know, some people think it's, I got to do it within a week, two weeks, whatever. Right. But the other day I, um, I was kind of, I made an introduction between a potential donor and an organization and they're in separate communities, but same service area kind of thing. Anyways, I was surprised when the, the organization responded back to the donor and said, well, I'll actually be in your area in August. You know, can we meet then? And I was like, this donor is going to freak out, right? Like, and that's two and a half months away. And she wrote back and said, that's perfect. I really look forward to it. And she was like, so accommodating and, you know, just happy that they were making the time to connect with her. Um, And there was no you know, whatever about it. And so I, I, I'm not suggesting that we push all of our donors out two and a half months, but I think being more open and honest with our donors and saying like, you know, how high of a priority is this? Like what, you know, and, and to your point about agendas, understanding a little bit better, why does the donor want to meet, you know, is this something that is crucial that needs to happen right now? Or, you know, is it something that the next time I'm in your community, or the next time, you know, whatever that we can meet. So I just, I just wanted to come back to that. Allie, do you have any experience where you've had to, you know, navigate the the conversation of, uh, I really can't meet with you right now, donor? I was trying to think about that as well. I don't think I've had anything quite like that, but um I will say, yes, it does really help to clarify with a donor why they're wanting to meet with you or why you're wanting to meet with them and figure out what works best for everybody involved. Right. And we we all have a different interpretation of what an immediate or time appropriate follow-up is. And so I find we often make a lot of assumptions in our own minds about, oh gosh, if I don't get back to this person before the end of the day, they're going to be upset with me or it won't meet their expectations. But but what I know is, again, we all have 24 hours in a day and most people are managing similar 
work life, multiple priorities, different circumstances that we have no knowledge of. And so I think just assuming the best, first of all, you know, for people, um, Christy, what you said about, you know, the two and a half month um, example is, is such a great um, example, because what I would say is, um, I would much rather set a meeting that I will absolutely 100% keep. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, it's carved in stone on my calendar, barring any crisis in my life, we are going to have that meeting. Have you, I think we've all um, maybe had situations where we've had meeting movers who mm-hmm. uh, book a meeting and we think, oh, it's okay, it's going to happen tomorrow. Then it gets you know moved out two more days. Then it gets moved out three more days. This idea of like hurry up and wait is kind of maddening, I think, in the in in any space. But I think we so often want to meet the expectations of donors, and and that is a good mindset. It's a healthy mindset. But I also think if you are questioning the timing of a meeting or the timing of a connection ask and say, would two and a half months from now be acceptable to you? Because here's what I'm thinking. Between now and then, I can come prepared with X, Y, Z. You can set the expectation. Or if you were willing to meet two and a half months from now, I could actually meet in person because I will be in your area versus a virtual meeting. So I I would much rather Keep commitments. And I think this is really important in the nonprofit space, especially because, um, you know, our word is our integrity. And when we say we're going to show up, I absolutely support that we should show up. And so I think understanding first with humility that people really are um, quite similar to ourselves in terms of managing time and lots of other obligations, but also that um, we should honor our meetings and do whatever it takes to honor when we say we're going to show up. And then, of course, we always, I think it also helps create some boundaries for those instances when we need to make a judgment call and there's something of an urgent nature that comes up. It's like, okay, yes, I can move aside my afternoon because I know that this is really important. So I'd much rather make space for those urgent items and keep the commitments that are a bit farther out than be the meeting mover where you're inching meetings moving forward because maybe you've you've overestimated your availability and you know the capacity that you have. That goes back to one of the first things you said about how important communication is, no matter the situation, if it's an urgent need, if it's two months from now, as long as you're communicating with everybody and everybody knows we're all on the same page. I think everybody can be happy with that. Yeah, I agree. I I really think that the communication piece of it too is is much more we we get much more forgiveness and understanding if we approach relationships with authenticity and mm-hmm. and it's okay to say gosh, I I have, you know, a series of deadlines that I'm up against this week, and I really want to honor those deadlines. So I'd like to commit to meeting with you next week. And, you know, so I I think people are, 
are for the most part understanding um, if we can articulate in in a genuine way what our rationale is for that. Mm -hmm. I'd like to go back and talk a little bit about something I really liked that you said about the getting feedback like 360 wise from people, um, your superiors, people that may work for you, your peers. And something that I thought kind of goes along with that is delegating tasks to help with time management. Do you have any tips about that or anything that you could share with us? Sure. So, um, you know, maybe one one kind of maybe far reaching example. Um, I, at one point in my career, figured out the number of hours I was working and and divided that by my salary and was quite shocked. I, you know, I was making like, I don't know, $6 an hour or something like that. <laughs> and it honestly was probably the one of the best exercises I ever did because I really needed to see people actually around me were telling me, you know, you've got to put it away. You've got to turn it off. You've got to step away. And I just kept thinking, but how could I possibly do this? Because the work keeps mounting. So I, I did that exercise. I figured out, you know, how many hours I was working um, based on, and then, you know, alongside my salary at the time. Um, but I think the, the, you know, delegating is, um, is a really important concept. And I think, you know, we're all in different situations. Some of us have larger teams of people where we have more hands to help with the work. And, and that can be a really great gift. Um, and, but you also in that scenario have to be very intentional about, um, you know, where your employees are at, where are they at in their career and their expertise? Are they entry level? And they're looking for, you know, um, easier things to do that they can manage and um, where they can be successful at it. Are they mid-level in their career? Are they, you know, upper, upper level and have a higher capacity for different things? Um, I also think it's really important kind of back to the meeting thing um, to have people around you. And this can be both team members, but also peers who could step in and represent you in different conversations. So again, you know, asking yourself, do I need to be the lead on this or do I simply need to know the outcome of something? And I would hope that we are all you know, striving to build trust with our team members. So the folks who you know, are reporting to us, but also our peers so that we can help each other out. And so it doesn't peer to peer, it doesn't necessarily feel like a delegation, but more of a, you know, I really appreciated your expertise in this area and I'm stretched for time. Would you be willing to represent me in this meeting? And then I'll download, you know, with you after and take it from there. So I think, um, you know, the delegation part of it is, is really important and understanding where various people's skills are too. So you might have someone in your network or on your team or within your organization who's a great numbers person, for example. So I am 
way heavily weighted on the side of creative. So the way that I solve problems is typically with words and, and writing and offering perspective and coaching and bringing conversation together. Some people have great skill set in crunching numbers, looking at data, assessing uh, what's worked before, what hasn't worked, how do we pivot? And so I would suggest that people not be afraid to look across their organization at their peers and and really understand who has a skill set in in a particular area where you could use a little help with. So often in nonprofits, we're responsible for everything. You might be responsible, say, an executive director or director role where you are responsible for marketing, communications, donor relations. Um, crisis communications, but also things like budgeting and forecasting and analysis. And it's really impossible to be a genius at all of those things. And so I think understanding how best you solve problems and move things forward, but then also asking for people to loan their expertise to you. Um, so for example, for me to sit down and crunch some big numbers and do, you know, create a beautiful spreadsheet. It would take me days and days to do that versus I know someone who's already got the spreadsheet. <laughs> could, I, could I just even have it as a template, as a starting point? Because I would spend my whole time trying to download a template on, you know, from online somewhere. So I think really being open about where your skill sets are and and knowing where your expertise is and also the people around you makes delegating less a mandate and more of a collaborative request. I really like that, Tammy, especially because I think a, a lot of nonprofits have started to get into the idea of StrengthsFinder and, and working mm -hmm. from a strengths-based approach to work, right? So rather than seeing delegating as asking for help, it's allowing people to work within the areas that they're the strongest and inviting them to lean into their strengths to help the team as a collaboration. That's, that's a great way to, to consider and to look at that. I like that. I love that point, Christy. Even the word delegating, it, it is kind of a harsh sounding word. It sounds like I know you're handing out orders to people or I'm telling you what to do. And rarely does that actually translate to reality. I, I, I don't know anybody who bosses people around all day with, with demand. So that's not even a realistic, I don't think, perspective. And it certainly wouldn't create a productive and happy work environment. What would you say to someone who says it's harder to train someone than it is to just do it myself? Yeah, I, I love that. I have been in that place before and I will say it's not true. That <laughs> is a story you are telling yourself. And it might be true for the on-ramp period of that training. It might be true for the first three days, the first week, maybe even the first month or so. But I think when, when, um, when I was in that space and I, I loved to collect tasks and to-dos and, and thought I had to own it all, and that is, that is not true. That is a lie that we're telling ourselves in our heads. Um, it is true that it takes time 
to bring people alongside you and to be patient as people try and make, make mistakes and you go back and coach. But I think there are some really great opportunities um, to sort of counter that. And, and one of those is having an onboarding program that is fairly robust, regardless of your organization's size. And it could be a simple plan that you have sketched out on an eight and a half, you know, one side or two sides of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, but it, it will show people in a very structured way how they will onboard and learn about the organization, who people are, where um, are the historical pieces that I should be familiar with, what can I start from scratch. So being intentional with onboarding, I think, is really important. And there are some great onboarding checklists that you can download for free online. Um, there's even nonprofit-specific um, onboarding checklists that I found to be really helpful. Um, so I think that's that's um, one piece of that. And the other is setting aside um, time for training. And, and if you are really crippled by the idea of carving out space and bringing someone into the fold, and it's paralyzing to you to think that you could possibly train, you know, bring someone alongside to help you, then, then take a different approach and set aside. Um, I worked with one organization where we set aside four hours every month and it was like a half day learning. And um, every individual within the organization put forth their learning goals with their manager and then their manager shared some learning goals and they reconciled those. And that's how you spent the four hours of time. So if you're struggling finding little bits of time along the way to spend with your staff and to train in an intern. I'll tell you, working at a college, the most valuable and helpful people in my life for a decade were college students who did not know how to do my job, mm -hmm. but they were enthusiastic. They were good learners. They were good about taking notes. They knew how to, they also watched you know, so people are watching you and be careful because, because are you, are you trying to generate, um, another, you know, generation of, you know, people who are hoarders of information and tasks, <laughs> or are we trying to, you know, nurture people who are independent thinkers, critical, you know, problem solvers, people who can anticipate and be proactive and are creative problem solvers. So be careful if you speak those words, it takes too much time um, because it's not true and, and you will find yourself in a pretty unhappy place in your career and it will feel, I think, like the walls are closing in and things are crumbling around you. Um, because you've not taken the time to carve out um, that mentorship aspect and bringing others alongside you. So I, I, I don't think it's true. I think it's a terrible story that we tell ourselves. I've been there. I've been there. But I would just encourage people, if you are there now, don't spend too much time. It's an unhealthy place to be. In the long run, it helps you and helps cultivate other people to do well too. It absolutely does. And and back to your point, Allie, earlier, um, you know, asking ourselves, do I need to be the one that trains this person in? Or do I need someone smarter than me, uh, you know, who's better at it, who has, you know, 
more time, more patience is, is, you know, would love the opportunity to mentor another employee. So many people are looking for opportunities to share their knowledge and to partner with other people that we shouldn't hoard those opportunities for ourselves. Exactly. You know, a key piece of that training too is kind of the theme of today's episode, it seems, is communication, right? Is mm-hmm. when we are training is being really clear on our communication with those people we're training. I know I've had experiences in the past where I was training somebody on what to do, not why we were mm-hmm. doing it. And, you know, I had my process, like I do this step and then this step and then this step, right? And then this person asked me, well, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, why are you doing this work? What is what is the goal of this? And when I told them, they came up with a new process. <laughs> Mine was like 20 steps and theirs was like three, you know? <laughs> and they were able to do the work that I had been doing for a couple years. You know, it would take me a couple hours to do that thing. They were able to do it in a half an hour because they asked the right question. They asked the why, why are we doing this? And if we're building teams, of different strengths, then we have to realize that as we train new people in, they might do things differently and that's okay. Like that's good. That's what we want because that's how we're going to have the most efficient team. And so I think when we're finding those times where it feels like it's taking more time to train than just do it yourself, there's probably a communication thing happening there. You know, there's, there's some kind of, you know, on the same page or something is happening that's that's causing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point, Christy. And um, if we look around our organizations, there are very few things, processes, systems that require exactness. So um, I can think of a couple. Some organizations use timesheets. In order to get paid, you must submit your timesheet by a particular date. That's a clear process. There are very few things in most organizations where there are absolutes like that. So I really believe most things are flexible and fluid and dynamic. And, you know, we all we've all seen the impact of technology as an example, you know, taking something that used to to take you know, hours of time and reducing it down into a really quick and, and expedient, you know, process. So I, I agree. Um, and, and that's also if we find ourselves working in that exactness space or that exactness mindset, I believe we're perpetuating the this is how it's always been done mindset. And that's not and the organization that we want to cultivate and grow. We want to grow, I think, organizations that are nimble and flexible and realistic about change. It is, it is the constant in our lives. So I love, I love that point and just being open about finding better ways. You know, Tammy, you kind of alluded to it earlier about talking about how you were working more hours than you (laughs) were getting paid for, really, or, you know, that you were getting paid $6 an hour because you were working so many hours. And people around you saw that and pointed that out to you. What advice do you have for leaders on how they can kind of um, help their team to see that they need to set boundaries or that um, how they can model that for their team? speaking to the leaders who might be listening to this episode right now, 
um, what advice do you have for them on, on how to coach their, their own team and, and help them with that? I, I would say um, that a really important thing is um, kind of back to email and, and just be realistic about what we're asking for as leaders. So as leaders, and I, I've worked with folks like this, I think I've been this leader at times where I have hot potatoed things, I call it hot potato. I want it off my plate, and so I hot potato it and put it on yours. <laughs> and, and now my worry, I feel better and I feel lighter, but now I've bogged you down with something on your plate. And email does that a lot. So I had a great um, boss at one point in my career who set a very um, clear boundary in our relationship together, um, probably on the second or third day we were working together. And she said, no emails before 7am or after 7pm, unless it's an absolute dire emergency. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, that was one of the best gifts I ever got from, because I had the opposite before that in in that same job i had a leader who would go home at night and i would literally like find myself clinching because i would just i knew the floodgates would open with emails and i would get 100 emails after 5 p.m. and and then start my day the next day with an overflowing inbox with no direction they were again they were just a pile of emails are they all the same are there some priorities in here? Are there, and if so, how, how do I know which ones are more important and I should tackle first? So I think setting a really clear example and be specific. So for me, what worked about that email boundary is it was specific, not before seven and not after. And that was a request and a gift. So what she was saying to me is, I'm not going to do that. And I'm asking you not to do that too. Can we agree to that? Yes, we can. And, and that also doesn't mean, because I've had this person in my life before too, that also doesn't mean that you write all of your emails at night and then at 8 a.m. you blast the person <laughs> with, you know, the sending <laughs> of the emails too. So just be mindful, I think, as a leader of what examples you are you are setting for your peers and your team because people are watching and and we really can build a the positive um, return on those requests um but again that specific request so what are the boundaries that we want to create and and also the other thing about the not before seven and not after 7 p.m that worked is that I was responsible for crisis communications. So it helped me understand and, and do, and to discern what was a crisis and what wasn't a crisis. Well, the budget being due at 10 AM tomorrow is not really a crisis. That's a deadline, but if there's a fire on campus, that's a crisis. So it, it, we really can, it can feel like we don't have control over these um, circumstances, but but especially if you are in a leadership role, you've got the roadmap and people are looking to us as leaders to, to create a roadmap and the space that works, that gets all the work done and we can have healthy, happy lives outside of, of our work. I, I do believe that that's possible. 
And so I think as leaders, just being specific about how we want to manage all of those expectations is really important. It sounds like that leader modeled that behavior for you and then also left it open for you to make boundaries as well. She did. And and I did end up instituting that with my own team members as well. So it goes both ways. I, I have worked um, with a leader who showered emails and, you know, in lots of 20, 25, it was never just one or two emails. It was like, <laughs> I'm going I'm to give you another cluster of, you know, a dozen emails at a time. And, but I've also received it from team members who are like, I need to kind of show that I'm working. I'm sort of on the clock at, you know, all hours of the day. And I've had to say, you know, come out you're not actually helping me and you're not helping the problem because, you know, I need you to move that thing a foot and you've moved it an inch. So don't worry about updating me on every inch increment. Let me know when the, when you've gained a yard, you know, and, and just even setting those expectations. Like I trust you. I trust Mm -hmm how you spend your time during the day. I do not need a play-by-play back from you. And until there's a problem, let's assume the best and that we are a high-functioning team um, and we'll tackle issues as they arise. Well, Tammy, this has been like such a great conversation. And I'm sure that, I mean, I know I got some tips out of this. Right. I even that last one about the emails, I've been really resistant to this idea of setting timeframes because I like to work when I want to work. And I always feel like, well, you can respond to my email when you want to respond to your email or to my email, you know, so you've definitely given me some things to think about. And I'm sure our listeners um, have gotten some things out of this as well. So I really appreciate you taking the time with us today. One of the ways that we can um, manage our time sometimes is hiring somebody to help us, right? And you definitely have some skill sets to help some of the listeners on our podcast. And so I'd love for you to just share a little bit about how they could get in contact with you if they need your particular skill set. Sure. Um, well, Christy, do it with your email. It will be freedom. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> go ahead and do it. Um, yes. Yeah, so if um, if you do want to get in touch with me, I just welcome conversations. I love problem solving and talking to people about, you know, strategic priorities that are in your organization and how we can work together. So you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Tammy Moore. And you can also um, drop me an email if you like at Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y at being more, B-E-I-N-G-M. Great. Thank you so much, Tammy, for being with us today. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate the time. To all the listeners, please follow us on Instagram, Legacy of Generosity, and subscribe to our podcast so you can get more great advice about time management, setting boundaries, and all the things you will need for your fundraising profession.